Welcome back to the Someone to Tell To podcast. Thank you ahead of time for tuning into today's dialogue with Avi. It is truly a humbling experience that we just had. We we walked on some holy ground and some sacred ground together. In the spirit of vulnerability for our listeners, we maybe asked two or three questions and you're probably not going to hear a whole lot from us in this conversation. And it just, we sense that the conversation went where it needed to go. And the word that Avi used a couple times is just when you're listening, you're participating in just allowing that use, we use that word several times, allowing the conversation to go where it needs to go. And, and we hope that we modeled what, what good listening looks like today, just by simply showing up for Avi and, and letting him tell the world his story. Avi is a powerful storyteller, and he has incredibly powerful stories to tell. And we know that when you listen today, when you watch today, you, well, we, we believe as we were that you will be transported and, and taken to a place that perhaps you never expected to go. We are grateful to Avi for taking us to that place, and we're grateful to be able to share it with you and with the world today. Avraham Avi Kluger, Ph.D., was born in Tel Aviv, Israel, to Holocaust survivors. He is married and, the, and is a father and grandfather. He is currently a professor of organizational behavior at the School of Business at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, Israel. He was the director of the executive MBA program of the school from 2010 to 2014. In his capacity as director, he put strong emphasis on helping executives develop skills such as negotiation, listening, and self-presentation in addition to developing an integrative view of the business. We are so fortunate to be part of a listening collaborative with Avi, with a small group of members from around the world. All of us have a special interest in promoting the transformative power of listening and connection in a fractured and disconnected world. Thank you for listening to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. Wonders Found Thrift Shop is proud to be one of its sponsors. Wonders Found is an all-volunteer-run thrift shop begun to support our mission team as they rebuild homes in disaster areas. We support local missions, people experiencing homelessness, veterans, and children and youth outreaches. We also provide clothing and household items to families displaced by fire or flood. You can learn more at our website, wondersfound.org, or stop in to see what wonders you can find at 7810 Allentown Boulevard, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Avi, we want to welcome you to the Someone to Tell a Two podcast today. It really is a joy to have you join us in this conversation. Thank you. I'm happy to be with you. So the first thing we want to do is what we've been doing this, especially this season with all of our guests, is basically just asking each of you to start by 
telling us about yourself. Anything you'd like our listeners, our, our watchers to know about who you are? This is not fair to start an interview with, with the question of who you are. There's something that I'm struggling to understand who I am. And I will answer two in two ways, but I find it difficult. So that's why I'm saying it's no fair. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the interesting thing is probably every day, if we were to answer that question, we could have a variation of how we would answer it. Yeah, that's right. Definitely. <laughs> I'm a person who was raised inside his own mental prison and trying to get out of there and build bridges to other people and between, between me and other people and between other people that are not me. So this is who I am in the past 15 years. And in more down to earth descriptions, I'm the firstborn of two Holocaust survivors was born in 1958 and had a difficult childhood, a combination of being, being very sensitive and my father who survived the camps who thought that weak people don't survive and I must be strong. And he beated me badly as a young child. And I was also sexually abused at a young age. And those memories left me for 40 years from the age of five until I was 46. And the only thing I knew is that I was suffering from a lot of pain in my throat and bouts of depressions. And I learned to cope with them with being active all the time so I will not be aware of what's what I really feel, I'll be on the move, on the move all the time, both at work and raising a family. And by the age of 46, I was introduced to appreciative inquiry. And based on my encounter with appreciative inquiry, that was transformational for me. I started to search an ex experiment with variety of methods, not only appreciative inquiry, but then taking one year of storytelling classes and then one year of psychodrama and learning Zen Buddhism and things called performing the world and started to get massage therapy and then voice classes. And I started to get out of my internal prison of being alone inside my mind and getting connected to other people. Through that, getting to know my own pains and then recognizing the pains that other people have, the suffering that exists in the world. And from that to learning how to connect myself with others and between others, and this is this is who I am in the past in all those years in a journey from the inside to the interconnected. Avi, thank you. 
Thank for, you for, your for that answer. That's very vulnerable, very poignant. We appreciate it. And, and we, we appreciate it very much. And we know that that was a tough question. <laughs> and we, we thank you for embracing it. And Could we ask you a few questions based off of what you just described? And I'm thinking about the shift that occurred, you said, 15 years ago, where you started building bridges. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about what it was like before those 15 years and then what transpired to shift your focus. I would look to be engaged in many activities, going on nature trips with my family, finding a lot of partners to do research with, being but not knowing what's going on inside of me and occasionally having a deep depression and suffering from pain in my throat that felt as if somebody's trying to put a nail into my throat. And it was so bad that even in the most intimate moments in my life, I would be aware of the pain in my throat. I will. The only way I got away from it is just to be busy. And the turning point was that in being introduced to appreciative inquiry, I was asked to tell a story about a moment that I felt full of life. And I also listened to such a story from my partner to this exercise. And this interview created a positive shock to my system in many ways and forms. First, the mundane, I realized that I was telling a story about a moment that I was flourishing in my work, but the story was five years old on the day that I told it. And I realized that at the time, for years I was working to prove that I'm smart, to prove that I'm somebody, but I was not pursuing the things that I cared about. And I was almost dead inside. Then I realized that not only I didn't like my work, I didn't like anything. I didn't like my friends. I didn't like my family. I didn't like anything. Everything felt so bad. The other thing that I realized that this epiphany was not my doing. It did not occur in my mind. It occurred in the space between me and the listener and the interviewer. And that moment I felt professionally cheated by the field of psychology and all the statistics that I knew up to that point. Because both the psychology that I knew and the statistics that I knew was individualistic in its outlook on the world. I learned how to measure a person, like how to measure intelligence, how to measure personality, how to measure the effect of this or that situation, say, of, of feedback on performance of the individual. 
it didn't occur to me that it's not in the individual, it's in the space in between two or more people that things are happening. So it was a combination of what the interviewer allowed me to do and what my mind was supplying to create the epiphany or the understanding, the knowledge, the wisdom. So then I realized that most of the psychology still to nowadays is busy with the individual or the group or the organization, but not about what the space in between two people, not at a, what transpires in a given interaction. What would, what would happen if the entity that we study is not people, but conversations or meeting of minds or lack of. And then I realized that I didn't have the statistic for it, although it existed, I just didn't know about it. So this was one moment that I see it as the watershed that once the water went there, that it started going into places giving me life in every aspect of my life from feeling love for my family to people in general, liking what I'm choosing to do, what I really like and working both in the psychology and the statistics that support all the understanding that it's not me, it's me willing to drink from the pond of life and realizing it's the pond that gives the life. It's not me, it's not inside of me, it's the connection and the and the nature around it that allows it to happen. And I'm just a participant in, in the process that is much bigger than I am. And once this became clear to me, struggles of life did not end. The pain though went down and many more moments of serenity, sometimes true joy and connection. So what made it possible for three years, I, I sensed the change. People around me sensed the change. I'll, I'll first talk about what people sense and then I'll see what I understood, what, what it was. My wife said that my physical voice changed and I had a voice teacher that when I came, she met me in a home concert. I was playing the recorder with a pianist. During the break, she stopped and said with a heavy Russian accent, excuse me for saying that. He has a voice of an old man. What is his profession? I was stunned. But I told her, well, I'm a lecturer. I said, oh, yeah, I know. You come to me, I fix it one, two, three. This is about like the, the character that 
And I thought at the time, what a nerve of a person. How does she talk? I, I still need to concentrate for the second half of the concert. And I forgot all about her. And months later, I volunteered to a time bank in my community where an hour of a professor equal to an hour of a babysitter. You just exchange hours of service in the community. And I started consulting with the head of the community center. And then I told it to a friend of mine and she told me, and what do you get back in return? So I told her, what do I need? And she said, this will be a bad karma for you to, to give and not to take back. You will not be balanced. You need to take back. So you don't think too much of yourself. Take something. So I asked for a voice teacher. And I went to a voice teacher in this community. And he heard me and said, go away. I'm not going to work with you. I said, what's up? He said, you have serious problems with your vocal cords. You need to see a physician. I'm not going to work with you. I went to a physician. They tested me and they said, there's nothing that we can see in your uh, vocal cords. Lo and behold, my daughter got the piano teacher. The sister of this piano teacher was the same lady that told me that I have a voice of an old man. So I told her, I want to see your sister. And I went to a class with her. And going to a class, the first time she says to me, Avi, get up. And no, she first asked me, what do I want? So I said to her, I, I want to be comfortable in my lectures and things like that. So after a while, she said, get up. And from fear, I just stood up like a soldier in attention. And she said, okay, now do this with your voice. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, but out of fear, I just obeyed. And before I knew it, she said, okay, now you're going to sing. And I knew I cannot sing. Come on, I cannot sing. And But she asked me, what song do you know? And then she said, oh, every Israeli knows this song. She started playing the piano. I started to sing and I was stunned. I knew that I'm off tune. I knew that I cannot carry a tune. And I knew at that moment that I was on tune. And then a few classes into working with her, she told me, Avi, you're trying to be somebody else. It's not going to work. Let me tell you. There are some trees that give small, sour, green apples. There are other apple trees that give big, juicy, sweet red apples. I'm sorry to tell you, you are a green sour apple, small one. Ah, but you have two choices. You can pretend that you're a red apple and then nothing is going to come out of you. Or you're going to be true to your nature and you'll use your voice the way it's supposed to be the way that is your nature. And then she continued to say, you know, sometimes the people come to me and immediately I see that they have an opera voice. You hear them in the first minute 
and you think, oh my God, such a beautiful voice. But after five minutes, I feel like yawning. There are other people, they have terrible voice. And she named an Israeli singer, doesn't have good voice. But he tells the truth and you can listen for hours. So what I'm telling you, that no matter what voice you have, if you tell the truth, people would love listening to you. If you pretend to be something you're not, you may amaze people for five minutes, but then they will be bored with you. So can we start working on your green, sour, little apple voice? And so that was one big change that allowed me through non-verbal ways get connected to myself. The other people, person who saw a big change of a former student came to me after one class, he took me with, with me and told me, look, Avi, I took with you an undergraduate class and I swore that I'll never get into the class of this arrogant professor. Never, ever, never. And the devil had it that I was about to finish my MBA and the only class I could afford with my new job in terms of my schedule was your class. So I said, okay, well, I'll have to suffer from the devil. And I came to the class, I took the class and now that it's all over, I have to admit to you, I don't know what happened to you, what changed in you? And I asked, started to ask my, myself the same question and then the answer I gave myself, I was so lucky to have so many people who listened to me, the masseuse who listened to my crying, my class who listened to my storytelling, my, in psychodrama, the people who played my own childhood stories and pain, they listened to me and then it was about 14 years ago, I realized that the underlying secret to my growth was receiving more and more and more listening from different people. And on the way of giving my own listening to them. And then I made the decision that I want to learn every day how to be a better listener for the rest of my life. And I'm only 14 or 15 years in this journey. And God is my witness and my family too, that I'm a beginner, that I still have a lot to learn about listening. And the second decision I made was that I want to research listening, to know what is known about it, and to start researching it my, myself. And the last one is that I want to learn how to bring the joy of listening to other people, to teach them how to listen to one another. And ever since I found this path, I know it's my calling. I have no, no regrets, no 
doubts. It's so clear that it's this, this is my life and I'm happy of being provided with it. Well, that was powerful. I, I can't say enough words to describe that. What you, everything that you just that you just relayed, what you shared, the story you told, um, and it was also a very powerful endorsement about listening and how it it is so transformational, how it can change a person's life, and we, well, just thank you for for sharing all of that and and for the work that you are now doing to help other people understand what listening is and what it can do and how it can change our lives in so many incredible ways so thank you for all of that all of us we 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 believe that all of us want to be somebody as you mentioned you mentioned earlier about wanting to be somebody that's something that with the work that we do we're trying to help people know that they are somebody and we're grateful that you have had that experience to 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 know that you are somebody too and that you were able to discover your true self and be your true self and that's that's what we want for everyone. So, again, that, that's it's, again, such a powerful story. Avi, one of the phrases that we use often, and I think we use this in our first book, Someone to Tell to Sharing Life's Journey, that we've used in a lot of talks we've given is just people don't heal unless they first reveal. And I'll say it again. People don't heal unless they first reveal. And... Could you talk a little bit about just your upbringing and reflecting on your your childhood experiences and what it was like for you to to start to reveal your true self and probably a lot of stories around pain and suffering and what what that was like for you just to open up about those things and you know perhaps even talk about your parents and uh, their experiences during the Holocaust and how that relates. My grandfather, after whom I'm named, Avraham Kluger, was beaten on Christmas Day, 1931, on a train in Poland, just because he was a religious Jew with sideburns. And it was fun for Polish drunkards to beat the Jew on a Christmas day. He returned home and never got up from his deathbed. In half a year, he was dead. And my father was an orphan from my father at age seven. My mother, his mother, who I know almost nothing about, couldn't keep him at home and send him to live with an uncle in a different town. So even before the Holocaust began, he was already lost in the world. And going to school, 
he, because he was religious, he didn't go to school on Sunday, sorry, on Saturday. He had to complete his homework and be ready for Monday with this homework. And on Sunday, he went to a religious Jewish school and he felt that he need to excel or else he, he will not survive. And the priest in the class was telling the students, how come this Jew is excelling and you're not doing your homework as well as this Jew? And because of this thing that the priest said on the breaks in the class yard, in the yard of the school, the local students used to beat my father for being for being the cause of their suffering from the priest. And he was on the defense all the time and he told me that he was beaten on the streets as an orphan many times and also going to his uncle's place. He was afraid of the son of the doorman who used to beat him. And he told me that one time he was so desperate that he beat back the, uh, the Christian son of the uh, doorman so badly that he then needed to hide so he doesn't meet the son. And he was really living in fear. And the war started at age 15, where he's already trained in defending himself in the streets. And he was in, in forced labor in a town called Chebinia. It's about 10, mi 10 miles east of Auschwitz, of Oshvinshin, not far away from Krakow. He went back to his hometown where my, his mother was before the war. And he was taken to really terrible work until 42, where the terror was already in the streets. The Nazis were killing people left and right. And in 1942, when they started the systematic killing of Jews, he was taken to forced labor in Czechoslovakia and then in Germany, working in road, roadworks, in sewing parachutes. He almost died many times in the camps. He was saved several times by kindred souls, non-Jews sometimes, that saw him and his agony and saved his life. I will tell you about one such incident because it can fill up the hour easily, the stories. One day when he was working on roads, when he, they came back to the camp, the Nazis ordered immediately to, do, to everyone to go to the courtyard to stand in lines because other group of Jewish workers broke into the German army train that was stationed next to the barracks where they were and broke out and stole food because they were starved. And so they did search and they were standing in lines of five. And the Nazi commander said, whoever has forbidden things should surrender them now. Nobody moved. Then they started the search. They asked my father to take off his shoes, to take off the newspapers that he had for socks. There were no socks in the winter time. And he said this Nazi was 
not lazy. He took the newspaper and opened it slowly until he found a little blade that my father kept in his shoe. He came to my father and said, what is this? My father said, it's a knife. The Nazi said, you know, it's forbidden. My father said, I do. So I said, well, so why do you have it? My father said, well, we get one loaf of bread for four people at the end of the day. I use it to cut it honestly between the four of us. So the Nazi said, well, 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 I'll take care of it that maybe you will not need a knife. You will not need bread at all soon. 50 flags. So he was taken out of the barracks, outside of the camp, with a guard that was very happy to beat my wife, with, to, to beat him, with, to flog him. And he did it such that the whip not only hit the back of my father, but he hit it neck, on the ground next to my father's face. So when, when the whip lashed back, it went to my father's face. When the beating was over, my father lost his eyesight because his eyes were shut with blood. And then the guard just threw him out of some stairs into the barracks, to the, to the camp. And friends from his building came and took him in. The next day, the Nazis didn't send people outside the camp. They were afraid that the prisoners will steal food or else. So they found themselves working some workshop. And going to the workshop, one friend of my father held him from behind and one from the front. And while they were marching to the work, he didn't see where he was going. But the Nazis couldn't see that he couldn't see because otherwise he will be useless and will be killed. And they marched him all the way to the workshop. In the workshop, there was a German civilian, a foreman, telling people what to do. He recognized my father's situation. He took him next to him and told him took his hands and showed him what to do at the time that he will tell him to do so. And every time the Nazi guard came during the day to check what people are doing, the foreman, the German foreman said to my father, now. This way, he kept my father two weeks working while being blind until the blood cleared from his eyes and he got his eyesight back. So this is one out of many examples where people saved his life. So only now that you understand a little bit about the suffering that my father have gone to, I'm willing to tell what he did to me unconsciously. I have to add that my mother told me, I'm the firstborn, that after she married my, my father, he would scream from his dreams at night and she couldn't stop him from doing it. She would kick him from the bed to the floor and only from falling to the floor, he would stop the, the screaming. The day that I was born, the screaming was over for life. And 
When my father was angry with me, he beat me very badly. I remember that when he saw that my handwriting is not nice enough, he just took my notebook with all the homework ready for the next day and just tear, tore it to pieces. When I came home with a grade of 98%, he would say, where did you lose the two points? When I would come home with a grade of 100, he said, okay, the teacher made a mistake. I know you better. You'll see next time. I know you better. And my mother was a Holocaust refugee. She's from the town of Auschwitz, Auschwitz in Polish. Her family succeeded to run away first to the Ukraine, then they were imprisoned in northern Russia in a place called Arkhangelsk. And in 1942, they were allowed to go to Uzbekistan. They only suffer from typhus and starvation and from people dying of natural causes that were caused by the war. And But she told me a third place is not that bad. And that was more painful for me because it gives you no, no way to know what's good enough. And are you loved on condition that you'll be a good student? And that's how I felt. And this was my growing up that I'm, I'm no good. I'm useless. I'm, and this is the thoughts that I was surprised to find out in my mind until a few years ago, how much deep inside of me they are. So this is the background. Now, about, you, Tom, you said you need to reveal, to heal. So first I started revealing to the person who interviewed me in the appreciative inquiry the first time. And then I went to, with the time bank, after the voice teacher didn't take me, they offered me a masseuse. I went to a masseuse on a time bank account. And I went to her. And after the first time, I told her, you know, when you touch my thighs, I had tears. What could it be? She said, I have no clue. I just suggest next time you come for two hours. And the tears turned to weeping and crying and yelling. And she allowed it all. And when memories started coming back, my body was shaking. I felt like as if I'm losing control. For a year, I couldn't sleep more than three hours at night. And then more and more people listened to me and the feeling was sometimes terrible shame and fear that if only people will know what I feel inside, nobody would want to be next to my company, big company to me. It's really dangerous to tell what I really feel. And so the collection, and I cannot count how many good souls listen to me. Every time help me recover one more aspect of it. And 
then it made me realize my my calling is about fighting Nazism. It's a fighting hatred. The ability to listen to hate ideas and to know that underneath them there is a scared person. There's a person that did not reveal. And it's my job to help reveal because once people reveal not on they're free they will not be violent they don't need to prove anything they just who they are so I'm sorry I got lost in answering you and I don't know we got lost together so that's exactly where it needed to go yeah a couple comments about all that you just shared again just thank you for your openness and vulnerability I mean that's exactly why we do what we do at someone to tell to, but this is why we lead a podcast like this is to create a space for people just to be able to share their life, their story, what they've learned, what they're learning. You know, I, I did use this phrase, people don't heal unless they first reveal. But what we found through someone to tell to's work is yes, people need to get to the place where they have the courage and the confidence to be able to reveal the deeper truths about themselves but people aren't going to reveal the deeper truths about themselves unless they have a listener. As you've described, you've had several listeners on your journey. And this masseuse you referenced sounds like she was a a transformational listener in, in your life. You used a simple statement in describing, I think it was a her, correct? Correct me if yes. I'm wrong. You described her as allowing you and use the word allowing, allowing you to just express all of who you are. And I think there's something significant about that in terms of how we listen to others is just giving people permission to just express all of who they are. And that that people are going to be loved more and not less for expressing all of who they are. That's the mark of good listening in our experiences. Now let me talk from my head and less from my heart. Yes, we all need somebody who would listen to us. But as a revealer, we have a reason to be suspicious of the ability of the other people really to listen to us. Because oftentimes when people reveal and the people in front of them do not know how to listen well, with all their good intention, they try to give advice to support, but they fail to realize that nothing is being asked from them. They're just opening the space and participating in the space, no matter how things will arise. So you need listeners who are willing to lose control as well. With the, as Michael just said, well, about this conversation, that it went just that the we got loose together. It It's need a collaboration between a listener and a speaker. So it's not enough to be speaker willing to reveal. There should be a listener there that is willing to handle whatever is being revealed without trying to control it. Just to let, let be with whatever is being revealed. I think we, we totally agree with that. We also know that 
can't always reveal with just every anyone and with everyone because not everyone I think if I understand what you're saying not everyone has the capacity or or the, or the willingness or the desire to hold it and to and to be open to it and to be vulnerable themselves and we you know caution people sometimes that you that can't always reveal to everyone because of that because of the hurt that can happen when we do and we we believe it's so important to be able to find the people in our lives who can listen in the way that you are are describing and our our part of our goal is to always if even incrementally help people to learn more and more how to do that and how to find that in others but we know that it's it's difficult and it is why some people many people won't reveal because of the fear and because of the experience that they have or people who aren't willing aren't safe exactly so we we appreciate that you recognize that and that, that because it's something that we've we we hope we recognize too and and we know that that the very best listening is done by those who are willing to be open and vulnerable themselves so thank you for just your again we're we say this constantly but for your vulnerability today in this conversation Avi, we certainly want to let this conversation continue to go where it needs to go. But as our time winds down here, um, maybe in the last 10 minutes, you could take our listeners, you could put our listeners in a space that you you put us in several months ago when you described a a story of an encounter that you had with an African-American woman on camera. And if you could just walk us through what, what occurred in that encounter and what it meant to you and what it means ultimately for the world. Thank you. What happened is that I was doing a listening workshop for happy.com in New York City. And I was training their best listeners in listening. And after half a day of training, I was asked if I would be able to demonstrate for 10 minutes on a surprise, as a surprise person, how do I listen? And there was an African-American woman who volunteered and I asked her the following thing, could you please complain about me, about something I've done this morning? And if you don't find anything about me, maybe something about my identity, I'm Jewish and I'm Israeli anything about my identity that's bothering you, please tell me. And this is, by the way, available on the internet, and I will send you the link. It's recorded. And she said she found nothing upsetting about my conduct in the morning, but she doesn't understand why Israelis terrorize Palestinians, why they go to their homes and blow them up and things like that. And Being a son of a Holocaust survivor, as I told you, hearing the voices of organizations like Hamas that saying clearly that are about 
the, their goal is to destroy the state of Israel and to make it all belong to the Palestinians. It's very hard for me to hear things like that. But I decided this is the test. Shut up and just show the, the skill. And I reflected on and on what she was saying. And maybe five minutes into the conversation that I'm reflecting her, she started to say, I don't understand why the Israeli terrorize the Palestinians and the Palestinian terrorize the Israelis. So the initial argument that the Israelis are bad turned into, I don't understand why there is a bad situation that both sides are doing it. And then I continue reflecting and towards the end, she told me, Avi, it's not about the Palestinian, it's about me. You have no clue how hard it is to be an African-American woman and an immigrant day in and day out in the USA, what I'm going through. And at that moment, both of us had tears in our eyes. Now, I practice this. I go to demonstrations against Bibi Netanyahu, our prime minister. And in the demonstrations, sometimes there are people that support him that show up at the fringes of these demonstrations. I go to listen to them. And some people like stand with signs, leftist traitors. I don't see myself so leftist, but definitely not a traitor. And people argue with the, the guy standing there, the police protect him from the crowd and his supporters. And just as I go through the police, I go to him, tell me more and tell me what it is. And then at a certain point, he said to me, who made up this slogan? It's a slogan of secular people laughing at ultra-Orthodox people. I said, okay, it's the secular people did it. It's not nice. And before I knew it, when the police was trying to separate us because they were afraid that there was something will happen, he wanted to talk to me more. And in the end, he was saying, Avi, you're not... I, I never talk to leftists like I uh, talk to you. It's something different here. Maybe you're not a hypocrite like they all are. And then I tried it with another protester in a different demonstration. And he had. I started to listen to his pain. The demonstration was over. The entire place cleared out. I'm standing here alone with a sign. And he didn't let me go for an hour and 15 because... He kept telling me about his life, about his mother, about because it was no longer about the demonstration. He needed somebody to listen to him. And I've seen, I've known about things like that that happened in the U.S. too, about a Muslim journalist going to listen to Ku Klux Klan, about a rabbi going to listen to Ku Klux Klan members and making transformation. And my cry to you is, could you help me figure out how to translate this understanding that it's possible on a small scale to a large scale? Because both the schism and the division and the pain in the US 
and many of the parts of the world is driven by the same forces. And we need listening to save us from ourselves. That is exactly why we do what we're doing right now with you. Because to be able to produce a podcast with a conversation like we are just having with, especially with the responses that you are giving, the stories that you are telling, the experiences you are sharing. We want that to go out to the larger world in order to, we hope, influence people who hear this, to influence them to understand the imperative of listening and how it can change and how it, not just individuals you know, on a small scale, certainly them, but how it can begin to cascade and grow into a larger movement, a larger, a, a larger way of being to bridge these divides and these misunderstandings and the prejudices and all of the fears we have and the misconceptions, you know, all of it. So that's why we do this. Because we believe that we have a calling to, to bring a message to the world, the entire world, that listening, listening can make an amazing difference in people's lives and in the culture, the culture around the world. So, Avi, thank you for just showing up and and letting yourself be seen today and thank you for just participating in allowing this dialogue to go where it needed to go thank you and i want to reflect on what happened here first it created a guilt feeling in me that i was listened to and i didn't listen to you And then a voice came to me, you have to allow it sometimes because this this is the thing, but I became curious to get to know you better. And I had several thoughts about it. One that I should make an effort to come visit you. Either next month I will be in the US and maybe in August I will be again in the US. So, and alternatively, I will be glad to invite you to experience some of my exercises in another meeting that we will schedule and we will reverse roles and I will take the lead and listen with my tools to one of you or both of you. Well, we accept both of those propositions and would enthusiastically look forward to when you are in the United States, please let us, let us know when that will happen. And we will do our very best to, 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 to meet you and to spend time with you in person, because we've, we've wanted to do that to our, to our listeners. You need to understand that we belong to a, a, a listening collective that Avi is part of. And for the last several months, we've, had had a number of powerful and wonderful Zoom conversations that he's been part of, and so have we, and with with a few others from around the world and across the United States. And we we really do want to meet you in person. So let us know. 
and we'll see what we can do. And then, yes, we can have another conversation like this and where you can ask questions of us. We will be glad to reveal to you and, and open up to you and, and share as much as we can. So let's, let's, let's plan on the, all of that. Thank you, Avi. Thank yeah. you. We cannot wait to meet Avi in person. His invitation at the end to us when he travels to the United States in within the next few months is something that we're really excited about and we'll be do whatever we can to be able to meet him while he's here. And previously, he had invited us and, and all the other members of the listening collective to which we belong to come to him in Israel. He would love a few days with all of us together. In the desert, he said, to spend time getting to know one another, listening to one another, knowing one another, telling our stories to one another. And we hope that will happen too, because if it's anything remotely like this conversation we just had today, <laughs> we, we, we know it will be invaluable to be part of. You heard us use this phrase a few times that people don't heal unless they first reveal. And so we just remind, wanted to remind you as listeners, if there's something that you need to reveal, that's why someone to tell it to is in existence. So we encourage you to go to our website, someone to tell it to.org, and we will get you connected to some of our teams of listeners so that you can be heard as we all need to be heard at various times and in various seasons of our lives. Thank you again for tuning in. We know that this conversation was different than other conversations we've had. It was primarily our guest telling his story, but we trust that it's it's what needed to be. It, it, the, we trust that the conversation went to where it needed to go today. One last thing we just encourage everyone to do. If you're hearing this episode and you know of somebody in your sphere of influence who needs to hear the episode, we just encourage you to, to share the episode. Anytime Michael and I listen to another podcast, we share the episode with, with five guests. If you could do that for us, that would help us so much to just expand our reach and get it, the conversation in the ears of those who need to hear it. So thanks again. And until we listen again. <laughs>